You're listening to the No Gray Areas podcast with Patrick McCullough. Today's guest is Michael Bartel, founder and director of Free International. Michael brings awareness to human trafficking and explains how we can prevent it by collaborating. Let's dive in. Michael, welcome to the No Gray Areas podcast. So good to have you here. Um, we, we actually have a connection that goes a little ways back in our work lives. It goes yeah. back about a decade, I think. But we found out once we met that we go way back before that, right? We're both Montana boys. Both Montana, Missoula, Montana. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yep. So for for listeners, Montana is that big, huge state up near Canada that few people have heard of other than they see the Rocky Mountains. And they and, like it that way too. And they, yes, yes. <laughs> anybody from Montana yeah. is like, don't tell anybody yeah. about it. But we're not only from the same state, we're from the same uh, little town. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, yeah. and my wife and daughter, if if they could do what we were doing and still live in Montana, that's, what that's where we'd be. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my wife is also from, she's from small town Helmville, Montana, mm-hmm. which is by Lincoln. You know yep. Where that yep. Is. yep. Yeah. Beautiful. So, but that was crazy. So the way we met all these years ago is I was working with the anti-human trafficking movement. You actually have an organization. You started anti-human trafficking movement. So we met, we were both doing some things. We actually connected, man. I just, I immediately yeah. am like, gosh i love this guy this is a great guy (laughs) um but then it was cool to find out we actually came from this the same small town in in montana but let's dig right into that then so you um first of all free international tell us quickly what that is well free is actually an acronym i'm not an acronym guy but it worked with what we were doing and it stands for find restore embrace and empower Okay. And so we started back in 2007 after having spent uh, four years in Southern Asia working yeah. with human trafficking, another organization. Yeah. And it was our response to communities. Every time we'd come back and tell those stories out of India where we were primarily based, people are like, oh, man, what can we do? What can we put our hand to? Mm-hmm. Almost to a person that would come up and talk to us. And so free was our response to that. How do we build capacity here in the United States to address that type of vulnerability and exploitation here. And so yeah. that's how Free was founded. And when was that founded? 2007. Okay. So at that time, because that's when we met, we mm-hmm. met right around that time. Um, that's when we were, we had made a documentary here in greater Phoenix area with our vice squad, because a lot of it at that time was just raising awareness, right? Mm-hmm. I think most people know now that that happens, but early in those days, you were having to convince people that that's not just something that's happening over in Asia. That's happening mm-hmm. in our own backyard, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's something we found through the process, too. I mean, our original context to learn about what was going on in the world was the international context. In fact, yeah. our origin story, my wife and I were working at Purdue University, and uh, she ran the international center there, which was the cultural hub. We had 142 countries represented. And uh, she also did the friendship program. So anytime yeah. students were coming in from around the world, she did all their orientations. Yeah. She'd try to connect them into families yeah. in the community. And uh, we were setting up for an event one day, uh, African student struck up a friendship with him in a conversation. And uh, he began to kind of tell me his dreams when he went back to his country, because he had nephews and cousins that had been sold into labor camps and nieces as young as eight sold into the brothels. Mm. That was January of 1995 when he told me that. And if he gave me a sketch artist, I could still probably game that room out. It just was one of those significant moments in our life. And that really changed the trajectory of your life. Changed everything. We didn't get all in until a few years later, but it just never escaped my wife and I's conversations. And we were pastoring and it was a big part of our our prayer for with the church and the internationals that were in our church. And so we just, we just got to a point as people, you know, raised among farmers and ranchers kind of really, you know, get her done, put the boots on, go to work type people. 
uh, we just couldn't talk about it anymore. Yeah. We had to figure out how to do something about it. You had to do something. Yeah. Do something. So you guys went over to Asia. Yeah, you we went to India. And you're seeing this, or India, and yeah. you're seeing this firsthand yeah. there. Yeah, uh, red light districts there. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously a different context in the States, but uh, we worked with some great nationals from all over India. They would take us into incredibly large uh, red light districts where very young girls were being exploited. Mm -hmm. Wasn't hard to see there, but figuring out what to do about it in that context was, you know, obviously unique to how we would engage it here in the States. But yeah, that that solidified it for us. I mean, we knew it would, but you don't know until you're in the mix, you know, and listening to God, what direction he wants you to go with what you're seeing, with yeah. what you're engaging with. Yeah. And yeah, that's just that's just how it took root in our lives. Well, and 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 let me just pause and say this um, for the audience to hear this too, because I worked with this issue. I mean, there's no there's no other evil mm. that 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 is worse than this. And and this is I just have huge respect for you and your family, mm. your team that's been involved in this for so long. Uh, you know, I was deeply entrenched in this and working on the front lines with this as you are for a handful of years, mm -hmm. and I think I'm still recovering from that. Mm you're hearing the darkest, most horrific stories and it just, it wrenches your heart. And so, I mean, I just have huge respect. Mm. I, you can see it coming out right now. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> still affects me. So um, I uh, I'm appreciate that you're still in the trenches with it. So just to, to help, I think us understand, you brought a couple of things which are really fascinating when we un un unpack what you're doing. This right here is something you were just doing a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, that that the big search actually is one of our main programs that we do. We do day to day work. All our people around the country do. But uh, one of the things that just has really always tripped my trigger, we my entry point into working with a lot of these issues here in the States, as far as seeing it at a, a much uh, larger level uh, was uh, we jumped on with a Super Bowl outreach, yep. the very first Super Bowl outreach uh, when we got back from India. Brad Dennis, who's now on our team, actually uh, was with Class Kids, and uh, he was the one who identified what was going on, not just at the Super Bowl, but anytime you brought all this disposable income into an area in a short period of time, just the increase of vulnerability and exploitation. Yeah. And so he started a Super Bowl outreach, and um, man, it just tripped my trigger to see that first one we did, we had about 80 volunteers for three days yeah. um, in Miami. Uh, the Miami Vice law enforcement down there were working directly with gave us all their missing kids that had been gone at least three months and were likely or they knew for certain were being exploited uh, trafficked. Mm -hmm. And so those 80 people over those three days and they weren't 80 people every day. It was just spread out over those three days. We were able to clear three precincts worth of missing kids off the books. Eight traffic wow. victims were recovered. I think three pimps uh, all got nabbed and went to yeah. went to prison over that. And and that just energized me so much. Obviously, the success of it. Yeah. But to see when different groups and faith yeah. partners yeah. and everything yeah. work together, and and have the right faces in front of them to search for as well. Yeah. Right. We weren't just giving red flags. We were showing real faces of people like you who were literally looking for individuals with names right. yeah and people go man yeah. how'd you find so many kids and yeah. this one we we had 45 kids we were able to find over about six weeks the community piece to it was this is uh, the one three days long Vegas, just mm -hmm. a, a little 45 while ago. Yeah. kids yep yeah and people go how do you find so many kids and ultimately it's it's because we were looking for them yeah right i mean yeah. you can't find what you're not looking yeah. for yeah and so to create an environment 
especially within a community like Phoenix. We did the Super Bowl here. We did it, you know, mm -hmm. as yep. in partnership yeah, with you with out you, of your yep. church. And just to see the success of those who are being recovered, but more than that, see the light bulbs go on in people's eyes on how when we work together and mm -hmm. when we're on the same page with a common task and communicating yeah. how, how successful things can be. And so we just kept going with the big searches and we're, uh, I don't know, we're like 30 big searches now. We have 10 lined up over the next year that we're going to do. And that yeah. was our first one this year. Well, and that's one of the things I've known you now for over 10 years, like I said, and you, your organization is so good at partnering. I think that's one of the reasons you've had such great success is you recognize the value of collaboration. You and I have both um, seen the messiness of that. Mm -hmm. It's really messy, mm -hmm. but you collaborate really well. You try to partner, you try to work well together. When you go into a city, you're trying to uh, work with the people that are in that city, whether it be the vice squad, the FBI, the local churches and communities. But if, if uh, most of our listeners are listening, they're not watching, but if, if they could see me, I'm, I'm paging through this booklet that you have, and there's literally pages, page after page, of individuals, you know, missing since October 2021. It gives the name, gives her picture here. And, um, mm -hmm. There's pages of it. Yeah, and, and you know, we were pretty, we're always strategic with the kids that we end up looking for. I mean, all kids are worth being searched for and found, yeah. right? Yeah. But especially in Vegas, we have, I mean, just countless missing kids. You can't put all those faces in front of people pragmatically and have any of it stick in people's minds. Mm -hmm. And so uh, so we work with the social workers um, in, in Vegas. We have a specialized crew of social workers in Las Vegas called Aries, which is is a whole crew of them that just focus on the CSEC kids, the commercially sexually exploited children in our community. And so, so the kids we look for, we kind of know their intake. We know the different stories behind, whether they're being trafficked or at least the level of risk, you know, they are considering their backgrounds. And so, uh, so, you know, to do that strategic intake allows us to kind of understand, you know, the nature of what we're looking for. Not all of them are trafficked. And when we go into a community, this is one of those things that we're able to really draw a lot of attention to. We're on the news We're you know, we're mm -hmm. doing all this stuff because a community is searching for its kids. Right. Mm -hmm. And then people come forward and go, well, yeah, aren't they just runaways? You know, mm -hmm. aren't they? And that creates a great educational moment because yeah. awareness, you know, that we've talked about yeah. is so key. But but the context to which this exploitation happens or this vulnerability is created is important. So, all right, all right, let's talk about that. What, yeah, so, so why educate. would they go missing? Again, yeah. I may, there's probably a lot that are listening right now that would think that. They're like, well, a lot of these kids are just runaways. So, so help educate them. Help them be aware on yeah. how exploited these kids are. Well, uh, Brad Dennis, who started this, he always has a statement. He goes, hey, uh, p kids are running away for one of two reasons. They're running away for some, from something or they're running to something. Mm -hmm. And actually the predators that would, you know, want to take advantage of that, all they got to figure that, all they have to do to exploit the situation is figure out what that is. Yep. What is it there? Why are they leaving? Is it because there's abuse in the home? Is it because, mm -hmm. you know, uh, whatever's going on there? Then he can fill that role of, you know, um, protector, uh, protector yep. yeah, provider, yep. whatever it might be. If they just, you know, have wanderlust and just want to get out there, then you just, you know, paint, yep. paint yep. the big picture of parties and everything else you can be a part of. And, and, and so that the nature of why kids run away and there's some kids out there that are just, you know, got annoyed because they got disciplined and are mm -hmm. couch surfing. We don't put those in our book, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, those situations need to be addressed obviously, but that's not the point of the big search. But yeah, that education that uh, yeah. goes beyond awareness. It's like, okay, good question. Why are they running away? Yeah. And and that lets us draw the curtain even back further. So even once we find them, how do those who are wanting to get involved more and more 
engage upstream from yeah. where this exploitation happens in the first place, yeah. right? How do we implant our churches and our community, not-for-profits into areas where that vulnerability, yeah. that, that engagement will make the most good and prevent this from mm -hmm. happening. Yeah, and, and when you're talking about the predators feeding into that, what it, finding, finding whatever that is, that need, that mm -hmm. they're masters at that. Again, someone who maybe has not worked in this area has no idea how evil mm -hmm. and how masterful they are at manipulating people, manipula manipulating young girls or young boys. Yeah. And, and like you said, whether they need, hey, I can protect you. Yeah. Or, oh, you want to have the fun life? I can provide the fun life, painting this dream for them. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, someone who hasn't worked with this has no idea. In fact, that leads to this next thing yeah. on, that's on the table here. You brought this. You were just explaining this to me. So, again, if someone's listening and not watching, it's a it's a piece of paper that's folded um, several times. It's written completely on front and back. Yeah, corner and just to tell corner, us a little top bit to bottom. Of, yeah. Yeah. yeah, corner to corner, top to bottom. Tell us where you got this and what this is. Well, I, I um, because of what I do, I get invited into some interesting areas to have these conversations. And I was brought in uh, monthly to a uh, uh, high security prison mm -hmm. somewhere in this country. And uh, and uh, there was uh, about 50 guys all um, basically in for life um, that really hated human trafficking. Right. And many of it because it touched them personally. As soon as they were removed from their situation, their daughters were trafficked or whatever. I mean, there was a real emotional attachment to what this is. And, and uh, I was given this, it's handwritten, this sheet's handwritten. And uh, one of the pimps that had been put into prison for the long haul had this on his person when he went to the prison. So they took it from him and uh, they gave it to me. And it's his rules on how he controlled uh, his girls, his women that yeah. he was working as prostitutes. And it's like you said, it's just pure evil. I mean, it's purely manipulative. And and really, that's that's the key for a lot of this education has gone, as you know, over the yeah. years, too, is, you know, hey, why didn't these girls just run away? They weren't chained to the bed, right? Yeah. They're not physically detained. And then when you realize, you know, yeah. from the background of this girl's life, how this person manipulated them, those chains are yeah. all tied up in their head, which are really the strongest chains, yeah. you know, they yeah. have anyway. Well, a, a phrase that I often heard, and you know, you've heard for years too, it's easy to get the girl out of the brothel, but not the brothel out of her head, right? Mm -hmm. Or mm -hmm. the trafficking victim. Yeah. I mean, again, they've been so brainwashed, someone has yeah. no idea. This right here, if they could read, like I'm, I'm looking over this, it's disgusting. It's mm -hmm. evil. I can't even. I couldn't even read it out loud because of yeah. what it says here. We'd have to beep, beep, beep out all kinds of stuff. But this is literally cut, uh, from, from every corner of the page, front and back, mm -hmm. a guy writing about how to mm -hmm. manipulate mm -hmm. and 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 keep a a, a a victim trafficked. Yeah, and and a lot of it's tied to identity, right? If you can get them to just buy into this is who I am. This is what my lot in life yeah. is. It's so hard to pry, you know, somebody away from yeah. from that whole scenario. And so that identity piece oftentimes is built in long before that pimp ever got into the picture. Yeah. Right. They were molested at home or, you know, whatever the situation might be. And so, yeah, I mean, those chains are so difficult uh, to break. So oftentimes, you know, the find of our name oftentimes is the easiest part. I mean, it's not easy, but once you start looking, you're going to you know, you're going to learn how to find what you're looking yes. for. It's that whole back end piece that takes so long to yeah. to really see a the, the, the recovery piece. Yeah, right? so this baby steps in the right direction to yeah. to attain a new identity and, and attain value in who you are, especially created in Christ's yeah. image. Yeah. Why would someone um, 
not that we want to get inside the mind of a pimp, but why, why would someone do this? Like, why would they get into this? Like, let's say someone's going in the criminal world. Mm-hmm. Why not sell drugs or mm-hmm. sell what's like, wh- why would someone going into selling human beings? Well, there's a, there's a financial piece to it, right? Um, huge financial pieces. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you're dealing drugs, you can only deal drug, you can only sell that drug once, yep. right? But yep. you can sell that girl, that boy, that transgender uh, youth over and over and over and over again, right? It's like a reusable Mm -hmm. uh, product, so -hmm. to speak. Also, it's easier uh, in the legal system to explain away, right? I mean, you find a kilo in somebody's trunk, you, you know, it is what it is. You got a 14-year-old girl in your back seat, especially with, you know, our law enforcement are, are better and better equipped to understand what this is. But there's still a whole lot of layers of of things that have to have to go through, and we have fewer and fewer hours in the day our law enforcement have to deal with this. It's just a lot easier to skirt the law, you know, in the middle of it. Yeah. And so, in fact, a lot of the adult women, adult meaning over 18, that we work with, don't want to, you know, when they say they want help. A lot of times that legal piece, they just want to leave behind. They just want to it, yeah. start a new life. They don't even want to engage with the court system. Don't want to look that predator so messy. in the eye. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Triggering all kinds of things. Yep. Yeah. And yep. all that's part of the reason it's so easy to mm-hmm. you know, control. And that that's why you see so many young ladies that are wrapped up in this too. It's not that, you know, I, I hear a lot of people thinking we got, we got way more um, pedophiles and, and than we realize in this country and in the world, but but the pimps aren't really looking for, for children to prostitute to pedophiles. They're looking for young people to keep manipulated and have them oftentimes look like they're of age, right? Because a lot of these Johns aren't showing up looking for children. Yeah. They're looking yeah. for young, yeah. but they're not looking for children. And so if you can shade that line enough, you know, yeah. it's a lot easier to control a 16-year-old girl than it is a you know, yeah. a woman, and unless she's been in it all the time. Right. Yeah. And we've heard the horror stories about that. Um, and f- what's interesting for me, and you've been doing this a lot longer, but I know when I back up and think through all those stories on the many, many, many women that I sat down and, and heard their stories, mm-hmm. when you backed up though, I never heard one that didn't go back to some kind of abuse in their mm-hmm. past, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, I mean, that's, un- uh, it's just unveiling a whole nother evil mm-hmm. that, you know, Every and I'm sure you probably there's probably some exceptions that you've run into, mm-hmm. but I never ran into a single exception that it didn't back up to mm-hmm. some kind of abuse that they had in their life or neglect, yeah. right? Yes. Because, yes. um, you know, really one of the biggest, if not the biggest, um, vulnerability for those who end up being trafficked is is just self esteem, right? And self esteem is oh, built up, pimps feed on oh, it, don't they? Absolutely, yes. I mean, not, that's why. You know, and and I don't say this to, you know me, I don't go casting fear anywhere, but we got to be mindful. You know, uh, when parents come to me, they're scared Mm -hmm. to death about their daughter being trafficked. And I, I had a daughter. I 100% understand that. But it's almost, it's almost impossible to have your daughter trafficked in an intact family where, you know, the Mm -hmm. dad, um, loves on their daughter and is mm-hmm. present in her mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Almost impossible, mm-hmm. right? They're Teflon. It's just, 
that, that has no appeal, that lie has no place to land because they're already yeah. got that safety, they yeah. got that protection, they got that love. Yeah. And so do abductions happen, do all that happen? Yeah, it's very, very rare, it happens, you gotta be mindful. You also gotta be involved in your kids' lives as far as where they're at on social media. And you know, cause if our kids have access to the world, which is awesome, the world also has access to them. Yeah. So to put the right boundaries is yeah. good parenting. It's yeah. not um, overprotective. It's it's wisdom, because that's where these guys will will look. Because if you're complaining about dad on social media, then I'm going to come in and mm -hmm. say I can be your dad, right? Mm -hmm. I can be your daddy and play that role. Yeah. So be very present in your kids' lives yeah. for sure. Well, this isn't anything new either. Again, I'm yeah. holding a book in my hand that you brought that you were mm -hmm. just talking to me about. It's very interesting. It's a, it's got a newer cover on it, but that's because you put it on there. Someone gave this to you. So yeah. again, sometimes if someone went, if someone thought like, well, this is something new that's happening in our world or social media is causing this, or it, it isn't. It's an evil that's been around for a while. In fact, explain this book a little bit. Yeah, I had a friend of mine. He's a historian, actually, and, and he sent me a text out of the blue one day said, hey, do you want this book? And I looked at the cover and it was an old looking cover. And the, the exact title of this book is How to Prevent the Traffic in Girls. And it blew my mind because just that word traffic or the trafficking word was new to me. I mean, we understand slavery. We've heard that word for years, but trafficking is a term. And then I saw um, this book was printed in 1899. So in 1899, over what, 120 some years ago, yeah. They printed a book about how to prevent the trafficking of girls, which, like you said, seems like it's a newer term, a terminology yeah. like slavery. Mm -hmm. We've heard nope. so over 120 years ago, they were writing books about it. And, and the book actually is an outgrowth of a conference, a symposium that rescue mission workers and social workers were having because they were seeing the growth of trafficking. And um, so they got together. I mean, human trafficking conference in the mid 1890s. Uh, dealing with this very issue and the vulnerabilities in our own country and the growth of it. And this is less than 40 years after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, ah, right? Yeah. And, and this book just staggered me, not because it surprised me. I mean, it didn't surprise me. I mean, I know throughout history, God always sets apart a people, you know, to be present for the issues, mm -hmm. you know, that are at hand. We saw it with the Salvation Army, right? The Salvation Army as a as an organization started as basically an anti-human trafficking and outreach. Most people don't know that. Yeah. I think most people think, yeah. you know, it's, it's, they're ringing the bells and mm -hmm. raising money for, uh, uh, for hungry people. But it started as an anti-human trafficking organization. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if they knew it was anti-trafficking then, but it was an outreach to prostituted women on the streets of London. That's how it started, right? And over the years, the Salvation Army has been engaged with matters of this here and there. And there's certain... Uh, certain ones of them around the world that that focus on these issues of trafficking. But yeah, I was just staggered by by if you read this book and I'll try to get it to you. The focus of the predators is so similar to today, like when we're doing trainings or whatever on yeah. that. It's a, it's worded a little different, but the exact same MO focusing on the vulnerability and then using maybe not language like you read on this paper, but a similar approach yeah. to wrap that kid up in in yeah. uh, in their head and be able to take advantage of their situation. And so, so their their thing was, look, if we can't get ahead of this, if we can't fish upstream on this, and and they'll say that almost verbatim in this book because um, all these people do outreach to victims when this book was read. In fact, they use the term rescue. Rescues 
term that the trafficking movement doesn't like to use. Survivors do not like that term. So respect that. I understand that. But they would use the term rescue. They go, everybody wants to hear the stories of the rescue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we do that. So they weren't saying that's bad. They're saying that's an aspect of what we do. But 100 years from now, we're going to have a bigger problem with this if we can't get upstream of it. That's the whole conference. And here we are. And we've been, that's what we yeah. were talking about. I mean, yeah. you still are, but when I was working with the issue, we were always saying that. We're like, yeah. for every, and again, I know this isn't the term that, that uh, the survivors like to use, but uh, for every girl that's rescued, we would like to see a hundred or a thousand that were prevented from going into it. So they were talking about that over a hundred years ago. We're still mm-hmm. talking about that. Still today talking about how to prevent it. Well, when we got a school assembly program, it was fascinating to yeah. me. We started that about a decade ago now. We've been in front of over half a million students. And right before COVID shut down, right before COVID shut down, the two months of school assemblies we did leading into COVID, there was actually 19 cases of trafficking that were identified out of those schools in mm-hmm. those two months. Mm-hmm. And there was 160, 160 plus cases of mandatory report situations, molestation, rape, abuse, that came out of a willingness to be able to talk about these difficult issues and vulnerabilities at the right age, in the right setting, that created a safe environment for them to come forward. In fact, the school assemblies are out there right now. They went all last week, first one since COVID, shut everything down, and today and tomorrow. But but the schools are such an important place uh, for us to empower conversations that are going to yeah. You know, reveal vulnerabilities in a way to help preventing, mm-hmm. yep. preventing, preventing it from happening. That mm-hmm. that that girl who might have been susceptible to this, or that boy that might have been susceptible to this, are hearing some things, and mm-hmm. now um, maybe, and and you know, only eternity will we know how many kids were truly prevented. I mean, that's that's the other difficult thing about that is it's hard to measure yeah. the success of that yeah, because you, you won't, you will, you'll never really know. So tell us a little bit, uh, what are some of the things that you do? Free International. So you've mentioned a couple. You do the school assemblies. You do the, you know, you do the huge mobile units, the rescues. Um, you do some some stuff where you're going into strip clubs and brothels, right? And yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Share yeah some our, of that. our outreach pieces are consistent and daily, and they look different depending on where our people live, right? Yeah. So we base uh, Free International out of Las Vegas. That's pretty much low hanging fruit there, right? Yeah. When I when I lived in India, the people of India who had never left India knew of Vegas's reputation. They go, "Oh, you're here doing that." are you guys doing stuff in Las Vegas back in your country? And I heard that probably a dozen times when I lived in India. It was, it was crazy. I, and it didn't, it made sense to me, but the reputation Vegas had, had done. So our day-to-day out, I mean, we're, there's not a day you can't walk down a lot of places in Vegas and just do direct targeted outreach, try to build trust and relationships. I have a, we have a drop-in center in Las Vegas. So just a, re, a, play, a reprieve from the streets, let's say, right? We have uh, just a place to hang out, Netflix, they can watch whatever. We got showers, washer dryers, so they can come. And we just have people who can, who understand trauma, being able to interact with them in a way that we can build trust to hopefully mm-hmm. off-road them. Our mobile units, one of the things we learned when we first looking at our name free when my wife and I first started free and we were uh, considering a name, we, we saw it really as a timeline driven. You find them and you work on restoring them and embracing them and empowering them. But, but what we really found, and, and again, it wasn't surprising, is we, we were identifying people after we were working with them to re- you know, get them in better situation. And that's where the mobile units came in. We were uh, offered by a group called Speed the Light 
uh, half million dollars worth of mobile equipment. So we got two, originally two large mobile units that we primarily use as uh, a way to collaboratively bring our strongest partners, but put it in the middle of where the need is, right? Mm -hmm. Find our most vulnerable neighborhoods and then provide services toward the people we want to get help to mm -hmm. uh, right down the block, right mm -hmm. in their, you know, parking lot of their, you know, weekly rental place or whatever. Yeah. That would be legal, medical, dental. We do tattoo removals, you know, because speaking of identity and yeah. this sheet, you know, pimps will brand their girls, yeah. you know, and, and so the faster you yeah. can get that off them, the better space you can be in to get them to these next steps. And so, yeah. so, so they'll, they'll literally, again, to help the audience know, like they'll tattoo a girl so that every time, you know, let's say that tattoos on her, you know, her left part of her chest, every time she pulls her shirt off, looks in the mirror, yeah. it says property of K Mac or yeah. property of whatever. Her or there'll be name money is. bags here yeah. because you're my money yeah. maker. Yeah. Or they'll tattoo their name straight on but their again, eyebrow. It's a subtle way for them to I continue to own I, you. Yeah. You were mine. Yeah. Right. And, and the faster you can, yeah, you can, and and it's interesting as we do this day to day outreach because we can offer that service. That's that's the one thing that we'll always get double looks on when we say, "Hey, we can help with X, Y, or Z. Whatever you need, we'll get yeah. you those next steps." Yeah. The one thing that'll make them do the double take back at you is, and you go, "I can take that," you know, especially if it's a, you know, former pimp or whatever. Yeah. We can get that off. We can do it right now. Yeah. And the tattoo boom, removal oh, yeah. was the thing that they huge, yeah. you know, yeah. The, yeah. we just try to be strategic and all right, we want to build trust and we never want to promise things we can't deliver on. Mm -hmm. And usually we just use community partners because to me, that's that's how you do it. Right. You mm -hmm. build that collaborative framework where everyone gets to be involved, even if they're doing a for profit business, they want to be able to help. We want to do it. But the shorter distance we can make between them saying, yeah, I'll take you up on that to when we can start the process the better chance we got at staying in their life long enough to hopefully give them other options. Yeah. And so that restore piece is really a huge part of our mobile units. We got mobile medical, we got a lot of different things that allow us to be logically, plausibly present in neighborhoods a face like mine normally wouldn't, you know, would just stick out in and, and, and you know, not be able to make a difference. It allows us that access to the community. Because ultimately we want that, for, for this type of evil to go back to prevention to change, we need to build healthy community within these yes. broken communities. And that's where we get the on-road churches, you know, church plants, uh, building resources around inner city churches that have a great reputation. The pastor and the people of that church are trusted, but they that's all they have is their name and their trust. Yeah. We get to come in with our services and add services to that trust. Yeah and see more people offer it. So the yeah. mobile units are huge for us. We got about a million and a half bucks worth of those and allows us to be very present wherever this need is. Yeah. We have uh, we have broader partnerships with Major League Baseball. We're doing uh, Strikeout Slavery, one of the founding uh, not-for-profits with uh, Albert and Didi Pujols, uh, which has been excellent in creating uh, inroads to more collaborative partnerships in these cities. Mm -hmm. In fact, long-term, Strikeout Slavery wants to have our big search, which is what we were talking about we did in Vegas, and in each of the major league cities. So every time we do a Strikeout Slavery, we use it as a, a way to uh, engage volunteers to come help us in these search for these kids 
that we're looking for. Yeah. yeah. We have a shelter we launched. In fact, that's where you helped us a ton back because yeah. yeah. it's a big part of what you were doing. Yeah. Um, so we have a shelter in the Midwest uh, for trafficked. We started as a, a place for trafficked miners. Mm -hmm. And then because of COVID and the resources uh, that kind of dried up a little bit, during COVID, we went to over 18, and we still have plans to re-engage that miners side. Yeah, yeah. But we have a shelter there. Um, and uh, we're getting ready to launch a national ministry and training center, which is going to allow us. Our hope is to take primarily, but not exclusively, the faith community and be able to tighten that net of being able to find those who are being exploited and, and engage a national network of real yeah. resources and help through that process. Yeah to bring in and professionally train first responders, law enforcement, military people, um, and then on the quarter to be able to work with, we're gonna work with Albert and Didi Pujols in launching like a culinary program for survivors. So we're working with a survivor network that, that we've worked with for years and years and years where they can take their young ladies who are ready to take those next steps Give them a real career option be some able to train skills, them some yeah some real certified training in yep. the field and then with our connections in like vegas and nashville and some other places be able to plug them into yeah. some some employment that brings some dignity to their lives yeah. yeah yeah man you guys are just doing amazing work and again i love how you guys are doing the collaboration when we talk about some of this stuff here's the difficult thing for us as human beings as you know as human beings, when we start talking about things and we, we have statistics and numbers and it's hard for us to, to wrap our minds around it. Mm -hmm. So maybe just share a, a couple of stories that can put a, yeah, I know you have to change the name probably, but give mm -hmm. us an, a name and a face uh, that will help us understand these, these are individuals we're talking mm -hmm. about. They're not just a number. Yeah. Well, we had one uh, recently in a city we did uh, one of our big searches in. We were talking with uh, her social worker. She was 17, let's call her Diamond. And um, Diamond, uh, Diamond's file with her social worker was over an inch thick. Hmm. And she went right to page one. And she's like, you know, I just want to make sure, basically she's still alive, right? I think she's uh, just want a wellness check on her if anything else. So her story was um, she, at uh, less than two weeks old, her mom tried to sell her at a laundromat. And then every page in that binder for the rest of her life until 17 was um, incest, molestation, uh, prostitution, abuse, day in, day out. She, she did not have a day in her life that she breathed without trauma, right? And so, the, you know, I've done this a long time. You know, we go back to 2003 when we started full-time. I saw similar things in India, which is a whole similar but different context because mm -hmm. you're dealing with a generational you know caste system and a theological yeah. structure that you yeah. know kind of enhances that which are huge to break through on but in her situation i mean her brain wasn't even formed in the way the rest of us are right yeah you, yeah. you could have waved trauma yeah, yeah. you could have waved the healthiest and we found her right we found her and um, she she had ways to when when she was found she would go acute or she you know pretend to lose her mind because they knew they would place her in a certain place and she knew how to escape it every time. And when we do these big searches, since we know the intake and the kind of the background and the parents and the or the foster parents or the you know whatever the scenario is, we work in when we do find them, which we intend to. What is it we need to do? 
you know, on the back end. Mm-hmm. So we're not just running around finding people and going, okay, now it's yours yeah. to deal with. How do we, yeah. how do we engage that structure, whatever it's going to look like? And every kid's different. Yeah. You know, every situation's different. And so we got, we got her set up and got her in. And, um, she was, uh, six months, um, in this, it wasn't a program, it was more detainment, but it got her to those next steps and we were able to see her come out and, and, um, you know, I won't get into her whole story. It's, it's been pretty traumatic with her, but she's one of those, uh, people as well. Going back to the tattoo removal, she, uh, when, when she got out last time, she, uh, she got with a different pimp. He tattooed her on her face and, uh, so she wants to get her tattoo off, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so the simple trust, we've never overpromised anything with her yeah. ever. Everything we've promised, we've delivered on. And because of that, even though she's been back in this life multiple times, and that's not uncommon, but the first people she'll call when she's in a bind is now us. Yeah. And our hope with that is that we can wor- work her into a much more successful story than, than we have so far to us. The monstrous win is we have access into her life now mm-hmm. when she is at her lowest, mm-hmm. right? And she's 18 now, mm-hmm. so if she, she's not going to end up on any missing kid report or anything, but we'll always pursue her. We'll yeah. always pursue her and be present. But that story just opened my eyes, even as somebody who's done this forever, how young yeah. this exploitation happens. Two weeks old, you said. Before the pimp ever enters the scene, right? And so how how much empathy that builds into our approach now because you know we don't expect majority of these girls and not just girls but majority of these kids to go oh you came to get me yes. right and yes. hug me they're and not running to you with open arms no there's that, so much abuse and trauma in fact you many times you're the enemy yes. that's been built in yes. by the predator in the process but but that's just a yeah. very maybe not at the level of her life but that is a very common reason why more and more people need to be involved but understand what being involved means because finding you know like the book says those quote-unquote rescues are awesome but that is so small a piece to this puzzle that needs engaging and there's so many different layers and elements that we can do that are preventative someone doesn't even that someone's maybe helping with something like literacy or something Mm -hmm. and they don't realize you're actually helping with literacy you're helping prevent uh, future potential trafficking issues. Mm-hmm. So there's so much that layers that go into it. Well, and it. you build community trust too. So just in brief, another story, we were we consistently will mobilize groups and, and churches to do ongoing work in really sensitive areas. Like uh, one in particular uh, we were at in Las Vegas, it had the highest violent crime rate in the state of Nevada. Violent crime rate in the state of Nevada was on this one property, almost a thousand uh, rooms. Um, people live there as weekly rental place. It was the biggest, brightest red dot in the whole state was on that property. And so we started showing up with our mobile units and our partners on a weekly basis, cooking pancakes, just building trust. And we were going into a big search and, uh, we decided to go there for the morning for a couple hours and we brought food and, you know, a lot of ministers there. So we were hearing people's stories, praying for them, telling testimonies, just very, very awesome morning went across the street to the starbucks and within five minutes we're all there there's 20 of us over 20 of us in the starbucks and while we're standing in the starbucks uh in walks three girls and the two on the outside saw our shirts it said search team on it right we're very mm-hmm. overt mm-hmm. um they pointed to the girl in the middle and said she's missing she needs help 
Okay, so we started oh. to get her story. She's just turned 15. She's pregnant with either her father or her pimp's baby. She didn't yeah. know which one, right? So you knew home wasn't the place and she wasn't in our book for who we were searching for. We start helping her. Less than five minutes later in walks this couple. They see our shirts and instantly start weeping in a Starbucks while mm -hmm. we're still waiting for our coffee. Straight up happened, just like I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So we go over, hey, how can we help? Well, they'd been in town. They were from Virginia. They'd been in town all week looking for their daughter, um, hmm. who was 19. But bad things were going on. They knew it. They they hadn't gotten anywhere. They had guns pulled on them, whatever. Because man, if my daughter goes, you can. Be, I don't care what door. Oh yeah. If he, oh, yeah. be Satan's door himself, you're knocking on yeah. that door for your daughter, right? Yeah. But they hadn't gotten anywhere. They had to fly out the next day, and they literally sat in the parking lot of that Starbucks and said a prayer to God, you gotta help us, we gotta fly out tomorrow. And they walk in the Starbucks and they see 25 and, and people with search team wow. shirts on, right? We ended up finding her daughter, she's doing great. By the end of that day, out of that one Starbucks, we had eight recoveries happen. Almost all of them tied to the fact that people would come forward and go, oh, we heard we could trust you because you guys have been doing stuff in our yeah. neighborhood. Yeah. Presence is everything yeah. in being able to get where i mean some of these stories we're talking about as far as finding these kids and their situation require some specialized skills and people on our team but yep. by and large a majority of it if we can be upstream yeah. in the middle of the vulnerability be consistent and honest and trustworthy those stories start to come out and not only do we prevent it but people are like that's my life i yep. need help and then they just start coming to you. And that's what happened at that Starbucks that day. Eight. Well, and and Michael, I learned firsthand from that to, to trust. I don't know if you remember this, but my wife and I were on a staycation here in Greater Phoenix. You remember this? You mm -mm. called me? Mm -mm. You called me up and you said there's a, there's a, a girl that you guys had started working with years oh, before. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And um, she uh, she all of a sudden put in a call, call for you. You had yeah. no idea. You had just done some stuff with yep. that. Yeah, her. I remember now. And all of a sudden she called and she said, I'm in Phoenix uh, I got away from my pimp for a yep. few hours. I need some yep. help. So you called me and you were like, and anyway, remember? Yeah, we were in New Jersey. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. So you, we, yeah, yeah. I remember that was we, awesome. en we ended up, we mm -hmm. ended up rescuing this girl, but it was because of some things that your team had done with her that built up enough trust. Um, it took her a while, but it built up enough trust that she got away from her pimp for yep. a mo moment, made a phone call. And we got her out of there and in a safe place. So again, that trust is so critical. Anyone can build trust. Yeah. Right. And to me, that's a big, huge piece of even even all these years in what drives me is when that light bulb goes on that I don't have to be special forces and kick down doors to yeah. go find those who need help. I just need to find a a, a, a logical reason to be in this neighborhood yeah. collaboratively shouldn't be your yourself, yeah. Yeah. but I mean, working with groups to be present in the vulnerability will reveal, you know, yeah. those who need help. And as they begin to trust you, you know, you, traffic victims will start telling you their story. Sure. So man, love what you're doing. And I know that there's some listeners going, I want to know how we can, can help or support or, learn more about this how, how do they get a hold of you how do they contact your, your organization we um you can get a hold of us on our website which is freeinternational.org f-r-e-e -E, international.org we're on social media under the same name and 
we have a lot of ways we work to on-road people to work with us. Although we don't take individual volunteers from around the country, I mean, that wouldn't yeah, be plausible. Yeah, yeah. We want people to connect locally with what's yeah. going on. And where there isn't local, maybe you can lead and we can yeah. help you kind of generate some points of contact yeah. in these vulnerable neighborhoods. But we have uh, the big search that started as a Super Bowl outreach. We're doing four more of those this year, four next year, maybe more. So we're gonna be in Orlando this year in Chicago. Um, and uh, at the World Games this year, and then next year, um, we're gonna be in North Jersey and Detroit and Las Vegas. And so we take teams in all the time. We wanna come in and just for that four or five days around a big search, they'll be educated. They'll be able to kind of see these things in motion to see how it can you know, be a part of what they're doing. And, and if you're a church or a, a college group or a community group, we bring teams all the time into Vegas and give a really good education, but but not an education that's di disconnected from practice. You're yeah. gonna you're gonna yeah. really be involved. The ladies will be out at the legal brothels trying to minister to those girls or in the strip clubs with our ladies who do work in the strip clubs. Dudes aren't well that's not for you. But but just connect with us on so social media or at, at our website and shoot us a line and we'll and connect. And again I saw firsthand so when when you were doing that Super Bowl search and our church was partnering with mm -hmm. you and we had mobilized some of our people, I still see when I see your stuff on social media, I see some of the people that were involved mm -hmm. liking your stuff. Yeah. And I think all these years later yeah. uh, they're still connected and they're still having an impact. It, it had a major impact. Let me plug this for you because I know it's always uncomfortable for you to do this, but even financially, you guys are doing a lot of really, really mm -hmm. good things. Um, it takes money for some of that yeah. stuff. And so I would just want to, I would love to encourage the audience. I know you well. Mm -hmm. I know your organization. I know it's a trusted organization. You have a great reputation. But man, if they're looking for a place to, to, to say, man, I love God has given us a gift here and we'd love to support financially someone. Yeah. Free International is a great organization. Well, I appreciate yeah. that. And and just a little side note to that, uh, our whole team is awesome in that uh, almost 100% of our whole team is self-funded, meaning they've all raised their own individual support. So they're, they're fully paid volunteers for our organization. And so any money that ever comes to free literally it's goes to all to the, yeah. Yeah, the mobile units and the... Yeah you know, in the school assemblies and all that stuff just become part of where that goes, not to somebody's salary. Not that they wouldn't be deserving of having yes. a salary, but they believe in it enough that they generated their own, which helped us during COVID because no, you know, we didn't lose any, anyone from the team and we're able to push forward and do even more things during COVID years yeah. Yeah. than we ever thought possible. Human trafficking didn't stop during yeah. COVID? <laughs> no, in fact, we got busier during COVID because yeah, a lot did. of that trust factor girls that rejected our help for two and three years previous all of a sudden were like okay show yeah. me what you got yeah and so when we got our shot with them you know yeah. we came through i mean yeah. we we can't promise the world if we don't have the world to promise but we're going to be honest and we're going to we're going to come through with everything we say so let me let me let me land the plane let me finish with this um I, you're one of my heroes because i love how you mm -hmm. your family have lived this out uh the danger for uh all of us as human beings is, you know, we just, we basically just start taking up oxygen on this planet, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's not why any of us were created. Mm -hmm. It's not why any of us were put here. All of us were put here to make a difference. What would you say to someone who's listening? It may not even be specifically with this issue of human trafficking, but someone who's maybe been moved by what you've said and they start going, I want to, I want to. I want to do something. I want to make a difference. What would you say to them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the wanting to is the first step for sure. And and I think you, you got to find uh, reputable things near you to just jump in, right? I mean, 
collaboration trips my trigger, but there's a real humility in collaborating because yeah, you is. can't you can't want to control everything going on. Obviously, you want those who are involved to have an understanding of what they're dealing with, right? And and if if you're wanting more and more to get involved, especially directly with survivors of trafficking, you need to you know find good education on what trauma does to people, how they respond, having gone through their trauma. Mm -hmm. um, that's not just a hoop to jump through. That's if you really want to gain trust and connect with people, you need to know how to communicate to them. If I'm a missionary going to India, I need to learn the language of India to know how to engage within that culture. Mm -hmm. And and trauma creates its own unique language set that you yeah. you you would want to know if you really yeah. want to gain that trust of people. And and then you know you you just can't take yourself too seriously. You yeah. you, you obviously want to love loving somebody's serious business, whether you're married or it's somebody you just met who's been exploited. Um, you just got to have a humility, you got to be a good listener and um, have a good support base, uh, a great church to connect to, because um, I know a lot of the people who have ended up working with us even have come out of their own background of abuse or trauma or whatever. And you want to set yourself up for success when some of those triggers start to flip. You need to have a strong support base. Because that's uh, going to be part of their healing journey, their own healing but journey. But they need a support base to they, that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, if if you're part of a church, we will never take individual volunteers in apart from knowing how how well they're connected, especially if they're coming from a church or a church background. That way, everybody comes out the back end healthier, rejoicing for not only what God is doing and helping us find and restore those being exploited, but in our own lives as we grow healthier and and. Um, you know, putting one step in front of the other to to follow him with our callings. Yeah. Well, man, thanks so much for the time. Thanks for taking the time to come down here. Love Thank what you. you're doing. Um, I hope there's a way that uh, our audience and we can be involved in what you're doing. Um, one of the things that we do always to finish off our time is the two truths and the lie. There's irony in it because we call ourselves no gray areas, but it, it's uh, it's maybe this has been a this has been a heavy subject we talked about mm -hmm. today. So this might be a lighthearted way to to finish up. So let's see if the audience or or me can be stumped by your two truths <laughs> and a lie. So I had to consult my family. I have uh, I've been married 28 years now, and I have a 16 year old daughter and a 20 year old son. Yeah. Right, uh, named him. Dylan Cash after Bob Dylan and Johnny Cash, yeah. right? And uh, <laughs> nice. Veronica Grace is my daughter. And so I had to consult them on these things. So here, here are the three we came up with. One, I am a descendant of um, uh, the person that the story of Robin Hood is based on. Two, I was bullied as a child because I brought a sock puppet my mom made to school for show and tell. Three, I am one-eighth Yavapai from the Yavapai tribe. Oh, man. So These might be some of the best ones I've heard because I've known you <laughs> yeah. for a while. Okay, it was a I'm collaborative go, thing. <laughs> I'm going to go with the uh, – because I'm from Montana too. I yeah. have some Native American in me too, so I'm going to guess that that one's true. You probably have some. One-eighth. That is actually my lie. No! I, <laughs> I called my friend um, Paul Russell, who's vice president yeah. of the Avapai tribe here in town, one of the greatest men I know, one of my best friends, and I said, is it all right if I claim to be Avapai today? <laughs> yes. He goes, yeah, but only one-eighth. You yes. can only be one-eighth. So, okay. so the other two are true. I, uh, 
I was bullied because of my mom's sock puppet. Yeah. Sorry, mom, if yeah. you're listening, had nothing to do was with that you. Your senior year in high school. Yeah. You <laughs> <it> was, <laughs> freshman year of college, I yeah. was bullied yeah. for my sock puppet. <laughs> uh, and I am a descendant of whoever. Really? Yeah. yeah. Really? My dad found that out uh, four or five years ago. Yeah. Uh, so the whole Robin Hood story, that's that's in your whoever, whoever. I think there's a lot of different Robin Hoods depending yeah, on what yeah. country in Europe yeah. you're in. But um, I'm attached to one of those yeah. um, myths, you know, whoever the story was based on. Yeah. Yep, I'm a descendant of that. That's great. Yep. Well, you stump me. I, I usually get one right. Yeah. I usually get them right, but yeah. I, I get one right at yeah. least, even if I'm wrong. I, I You stumped me right away, so <laughs> nice job. Well, Michael, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate what you're doing. Our prayers are with you. Uh, keep up the fight, my friend. Thank you, bro. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the No Gray Areas podcast. To dive deeper into the story, be sure to subscribe, follow us on social media, and check out nograyareas.com.